This is the show with Cannon Brown. I've got an unhealthy obsession with cows. Yeah. I mean, I like cows. I mean, I really like cows. <laughs> I, I've been around cows um, and horses and, and ranching and, and those kind of things my entire life in one way or another. That last few minutes might have been a little confusing. You'd like to know who I was talking to, wouldn't you? What's up, guys and gals? Welcome back to the show. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Cannon Brown. Um, I don't know why I led with that intro. What, what's up, guys and gals? How the heck are you doing today? Um, I don't know why I led with that, but I did, so I'm going to run with it. It is a beautiful Thursday for me, guys. I don't know about you. It's a beautiful Thursday morning, uh, September 12th. Whatever day you're listening to this, it's a gorgeous day outside. I know it, and if it's not, please don't tell me uh, because in my head, I just want to picture you guys in beautiful places all around the world or like around the country. I don't really have a lot of... Um, out of the U.S. listeners. I've got some in Canada. Shout out to my Canadians. I see you. Uh, I've got a couple in Australia. Shout out to my Aussies. Oi, oi, oi. Um, and then a few, I've, guys, I've got some weird ones. I mean, um, I've got a, I've got one download in Japan. Uh, I've got a, I've got a download in Lithuania. Let me pull this up for you guys really quick. Cause this is actually kind of funny. Uh, England, United Kingdom. I've got one. Spain, I've got one, and Argentina, I've got one. So, guys, I'm I'm pretty much a big deal. I mean, if you guys haven't known this, I mean, I'm Mr. Worldwide. Step away, <laughs> step out of the way, Pitbull, because I mean, I'm making some impressions on people. Okay, I'm done. I'm done talking about myself. Hey, I've got a great interview for you guys today. His name is Dr. Dean Fish. Um, and what can I what can I say about him? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna obviously go in depth uh, about his life and and what he does for the industry right now. But what I can tell you guys is his passion uh, and his interest and in, and in just learning more about the industry and to keep learning more about the industry. Uh, it's it's second to none. I mean, I I haven't met a guy that's so passionate about just learning. You're gonna hear that in the interview. He didn't, he didn't grow up very wealthy, but the, the only thing he could do is, is just read and learn as much as possible. And, and when he was just saying that in the, in the interview, and you're going to hear it, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but wow, I mean, it's, it's pretty wild. And, and he grew up in a different era, so um, it's kind of different now. There, there are some different things in our lives that we kind of have to tend to and, and have, and, and maybe we don't need them, but they're pretty nice. Uh, talking about televisions, uh, uh, phones iPads, you name it, all, all those technological advancements. But he kind of grew up in a situation where he didn't really have those, and, and all he could do was learn and read as, as much as possible on, on the ranch that he was living, and he's turned it into quite a career. Uh, and I hope you guys like his journey, and I hope you guys uh, kind of look up the stuff that we talk about. We shout out, we shout out a lot of things. We shout out um, Arizona Nationals, NCBA, uh, uh, Phoenix Hog Show. I think we talk about uh, oh, just a whole bunch of things. I don't want to spoil it for you. That's enough of me talking already. All right, guys. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's do it. Also, subscribe, like, share, all that stuff. Let's do it. Dr. Dean Fish. You're safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Dean Fish. He's uh, an Arizona native. We're sitting in uh, 
Tucson, Arizona right now in my apartment. Uh, and I think this is the first time you've been in a college apartment since since when? Uh, probably since last week. <laughs> yeah, since last week uh, when you were over here and we uh, did the first installment of the interview, which you guys uh, won't be able to hear because I can't even hear it because it didn't record. But we won't talk about it. Well, good. Well, everybody I offended last week won't know that I offended them and all the dumb stuff I said won't um, won't come out. But thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Cannon. Yeah. What are you doing in Tucson today? Well, today I'm kind of running some errands. Um, Tucson is kind of the nearest big city, and so that's where we kind of get our vaccines and, um, you know, take care of those kind of things. So it's kind of running some errands, and um, so luckily was able to be here and hit you up again. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And I was... Uh, beyond devastated when that first part of the interview was cut and I uh, had to get you back and I'm glad that you were in Tucson to uh, do it again but let's uh, let's talk about that because Tucson is the uh, kind of near city to you you live in Nogales uh, and how, how far is that off the uh, Mexico border yeah so I ranch in southern Arizona I grew up on ranches in southern Arizona um, my main headquarters is about four miles from the border um, then I actually lease a ranch right on the border. So um, I'm on that U.S.-Mexico interface, you know, every day horseback or, you know, in a pickup and, and raising cattle down there and um, have grown up in that part of the world my entire life so far. So yeah. glad glad to be able to do it. Yeah, and, and growing up, did you kind of uh, show livestock, raise livestock? You, you kind of started at a young age uh, raising uh, cattle, didn't you? Yeah, I, I, I guess, um, you know, kind of as a, as a way of um, kind of introduction here, I, I think I've – I've got an unhealthy obsession with cows. Yeah. I mean, I like cows. I mean, I really like cows. <laughs> I, I've been around cows um, and horses and, and ranching and, and those kind of things my entire life in one way or another. Um, and I exclusively make my living in agriculture right now. And so that's that's um, always been a big part of my life. But, um, yeah, so I grew up on, on ranch down there in southern Arizona. Um, when I turned nine, I had... Um, big big thing happened in my life and I think we talk about things that happen in your life kind of for a reason and things that that um, have a huge huge impact on the direction or you know either negative or positively in in your life you know whether that's you know the college you select or the you know your your spouse that you select or, or they select you or or whatever but at age nine one of my big pivot points and I'm stealing that phrase from a good friend of mine Jessica Keisling who is um, Dan Keisling, one of our former livestock judging coaches, widow. Um, she talks about pivot points being kind of that exact where it changes your life or, uh, or the, that you acknowledge that it changes the direction of your life. And so that for me was at age nine when I joined 4-H. And so um, I had my first steer. Um, his name was Fatso. <laughs> he was a terrible calf. He was, um, I think, six out of um, – five calves in the yeah. show um anyway he was terrible i mean um a university of arizona professor by the name of al lane um was a judge and i still and and may his soul rest in peace today but i did not like him for a long time um but but anyway he that was that was um my first calf well hold on let's let's talk about that because uh i know a lot of kids their first year they're not usually winning every every single class, every single show. Um, it's it's not a fun experience to lose, but did did it help you overall? Did it kind of just 
get you in by fire? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think I think you learn as many lessons from defeat as you do victory. Or at least that's what I tell myself because I've at least been in that position a lot more <laughs> than victory. But um, I, I think that, that for me, being dead last, and, and um, I never wanted to be there again. And yeah. so I worked really, really hard on – on um, you know every subsequent animal that I raised and, and, and showed in my show career to do better than that and to do the best that I could and so that you know as you know you know with your show experience you know that all that stuff begins at home I mean all that stuff you know there's no shortcuts and I don't care what species you're showing um, those if you try to take shortcuts they show up in a show ring you know there's no easy there's no way around just the hard work and so that's why you know i'm continuing to be dedicated to these youth livestock programs because i know that the skills that 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 work develops in young people translates into success later in life whether you're an accountant whether you're bagging groceries at whole foods whether you're the ceo of purina um you know mills doesn't matter those skills are so important to learn and and a good good way and a fun way to learn that is through through a show animal project um and so you know for me it was a it was a show cattle deal and i showed steers and heifers i showed one hog um three quarters of the way yeah. <laughs> um I, I ended up i had a conflict at there's Arizona national i took a hog there's Arizona nationals and um the heifer shows at the same time and so i I chose a heifer and had yeah. something had my buddy show the hog for me. So. <laughs> now, were you were you judging too in 4-H or uh, in FFA? Yeah, so we didn't have FFA in in my county, um, but I was an active 4-H member, and I did um, did the beef project. I did um, um, steers and heifers. I did, like I said, one hog project, um, and did livestock judging. We had pretty competitive livestock judging team um, that we we'd travel around the state and and do it, and so. This was way back in the 1980s, if you can imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> um, but we had a pretty active um, sailor show circuit. Um, and then we also had a breed association, the um, Arizona Junior Hereford Association. And, and we still had quite a few Hereford exhibitors in the state at that point. So we put on a field day every year, which was kind of a big deal. Um, we'd go to one of the Hereford breeders' ranches in the state and um, have uh, judging contests and, and Hereford show and, you know, kind of Barnyard Olympics and kind of a fun social thing, but, but also competitive shows. And so we judged at all those kind of things. And, um, you know, along with 4-H, um, the Junior Hereford Association was a big part of, you know, developing my leadership and my connections in the livestock industry. Um, we, as a state affiliate of the American Junior Hereford Association, we could go back to a conference um, and they used to have this at the American Royal in um, late October. And so that's, that was my first plane ride, was to go back to the American Junior Hereford Association National Conference and do a bunch of junior activities and, you know, all kinds of fun stuff. And so, so kind of cool that, that 4-H and Junior Herefords and SALA and things like that were what gave kind of a country bumpkin kid from you know southern arizona um a chance to go out and see stuff and see the world and make connections and and um and and do stuff yeah i mean i think that's that's how a lot of kids are are getting around uh and and visiting things is being a part of these organization organizations being a part of the associations anything like that i mean the more that you can join the more clubs you can join uh the more outreach you're going to get and the more connections you can meet 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and so kind of going on to the judging thing, that was your original question, and I <laughs> deviated from it. Yeah, but right. but um, livestock judging, I, I'm telling you, is so, so important for these young people to get involved in. Um, not I mean, you know, and I think most of your listeners are probably familiar with livestock judging, but, you know, for me to see the decision-making ability that that develops in young people and then their ability to effectively communicate why they made those decisions um, pays huge dividends, again, in whatever career they go into. Um, beyond that, you know, and especially as you get into the collegiate level, the JUCO and the senior college level, as you travel around to these different contests and seeing different shows and seeing different quality livestock, and then when you work out, you're working out at, at some of the top farms in the whole United States and seeing some of the top livestock, you know, the top, um, you know, feedlot cattle. When you go work out for Denver, you're going to go on and seeing um, – you know, I think you go to Magnus Land and Cattle up there. I think there's so many opportunities to make the connections in the industry that are so important to um, to young people as they get out and, and start looking for a job and so forth. Yeah. Livestock judging is, is probably the best way to do that. You know, and you don't have to have a lot of money to be a good livestock judge. Um, you know, it just takes a little bit of work ethic and, and um, you know, some try. Yeah, I mean, in, entry fee and uh – you can't be scared to go in, go into a room and, and tell somebody what you think. And I mean, you might be dead wrong. I mean, you might have seen the class completely different than the person, the guy or gal that are that is listening to you. But you just got to have the know-how to just go in there and, and give it all you got. But I think it's a great opportunity. Yeah, and I, and I think I think you can be scared. And I'll yeah. kind of disagree with you a little bit okay, because yeah. I think the first time I gave reasons to was a guy by the name of Jim Sullivan, who was at least to a <laughs> four foot nothing <laughs> little kid. I think he was like eight foot tall and about <laughs> three hundred pounds, and and uh, was really really intimidating. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a fear that a lot of those 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 young people that are participating, if they get through that first one or two and have a little bit of success. Um, man, that gets them hooked and gets them started. You know, it makes them so much better livestock people as they're selecting their projects and, and, and so forth. You know, kind of starting with that ideal animal in mind, um, you know, they're at such an advantage over a young person that doesn't have that experience and doesn't see those livestock. Yeah, yeah, and I would have to agree with you. I might have worded it wrong. I think, uh, and it's almost kind of you're anxious a little bit, like sitting in the line waiting for your turn to go into the room. I know... I mean, even at JUCO level, I'd be sitting there and I, I would just be saying my readings in my head and, and just getting ready, my, maybe kicking the food under my seat be, that they gave me for lunch and, and then just waiting to go into the room and you're just anxious sitting there. But it's so fun. Like, I, I mean, the reasons day goes, I mean, once you, once you get out of classes, that goes by so quick. I mean, you've got like 12 minutes to memorize sets and, and that's, that's all you got, but it's a great experience. And I wanted to talk to you about that because you've had a lot of uh, experience kind of running a lot of, uh, uh, judging contests in Arizona. And, uh, I know one of the first, uh, contests that I went to you put on. So, uh, I mean, you've kind of been a pioneer in Arizona with those contests. Well, well, not exactly a pioneer. I'm not that old cannon, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I, I have been really, really involved again because of what I feel is the importance of what that livestock judging does. And so, um, yeah, so when I became an extension agent um, way back in 1998. <laughs> oh, Two years well, old. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, but, it, but anyway, when I became an extension agent, I knew that was one of the things I really wanted to contribute. And so I started helping out at the state fair with that contest. And, um, and then um, Arizona Nationals started helping at that contest. And then, um, you know, drug a couple teams around and, and – um, you know, we're 
you know, fairly successful and then started going to clinics and starting to help put on clinics and teach at clinics and, and do those kind of things. And I really, really try to continue that effort to, to this day to provide those opportunities for young people. Um, you know, the state fair contest, like I said, since, since 98, I've, um, been involved in that some way or another. Um, and I've coordinated that for the last several years. And I was, um, really happy to know that, that was one of your first contests. Yeah. And, and, um, um, and I was really, really um, just tickled that, that that was one of the reasons why you kind of became in, interested in livestock judging. Exactly. And so we didn't do everything wrong that day. So that was That, <laughs> that was, was my good. very first contest. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I'm glad, glad you stuck with it. I think that provided, and I think you'll agree, some pretty good opportunities to meet some people and have some experiences and, and develop your skill set quite a bit through that program. Um, Arizona Nationals has a long, long history of um, providing a pretty elite, level judging contest and you know we've had for sure ups and downs in there but um that was originally run by the university of arizona faculty um the animal science faculty when we had a pretty robust department here with with several specialists and so forth in conjunction with the county agents association and so they would put on that contest and put a big breakfast you know on for the contestants uh, awards breakfast and you know, back then they'd score with Hormel cards and they'd be up all night scoring the contest. And, and, you know, now we do it all with barcodes and, you know, it's pretty much instantaneous. But, um, anyway, they had a pretty big crew that would put those contests on. Um, when I first became involved in that contest, Dr. Bob Katnig was a coordinator and he was extension livestock specialist here at the University of Arizona. And so, you know, I kind of just jumped in and helped out leading heifers or, you know, picking up cards or whatever, um, started that. And, um, when he phased out of the contest, um, I went ahead and kind of had um, advanced to to take over that contest, and I've been the coordinator for several years of that contest. And so I probably get too much credit when the stuff goes well at that contest, <laughs> um, you know, because there's a lot of people that have to make that thing happen. And so we've been pretty fortunate to have some pretty high-level high, high level people like Casey McMurphy that came and helped us and Johnny Trichel from Clarendon and um, – um, some of the other U of A judging coaches that have helped and some of the other coaches that have helped. Jerry McPeak helped at one point, um, you know, and um, the last two years we've had Dr. Clint Russ from Oklahoma State University come out and help us. And just, you know, all of those have contributed to raise the level of that contest where I think we have, I think, one of the premier judging contests for that time of year where students that come um, either from the collegiate level or the, or the junior level um, are going to see the highest quality market animals that they'll see anywhere at that point of the year. And so I think we work hard to get it officiated correctly and well. Um, we work hard to get good reasons takers, and I think, we think we've, um, we're think we we getting there. We're not where we want to be yet, but we're doing a better job. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think uh, I think you guys are doing great. I mean, it's blown up the past, like, four years. You guys, how many senior college and, colleges and junior colleges did you guys have last year? Well, I should have looked that up, but I think we had. I know we we talked about that, but I think um, I think we had six or eight um, senior colleges, and then I think eight or ten junior colleges, yeah. and then we also included freshman team division, you oh, know, yeah. which which that also helped to to provide some contestants. So I think we had somewhere 150, 160 uh, collegiate contestants, and then we had um, not know exactly how many showed up, but we had over 350 4-H and FFA contestants. Um, register for that contest wow. um, so we're we were over 500 that were kind of pre-registered and set to go in that contest so which that growth was so exponential and it happened quickly 
that um, we've this year decided to split those contests back out and do two separate contests. So we'll run at Arizona Nationals this year, we'll run our um, 4-HFA contest, which is also the state 4-H contest. We'll run that contest on the 30th, and then our collegiate contest will be the 31st. Okay, wow, yeah. I mean, with when numbers grow, I mean, I, I guess you got to kind of make room. And I, I judged in that contest and, and 4-H, FFA, and junior college, and it's a good one. I mean, it's it's not cold. You stand out in the sun. I mean, it's a little chilly, but you got a jacket on. I mean, and it's Arizona winter. It's like 50 degrees, and we think it's cold, but it's really not. And uh, you go into that Coliseum, and, and it's a good time. But uh, you guys have done an awesome job with it growing, and it's been so quick. I mean, once that sh show grew as much as it did, uh, it just started feeding into that judging uh, contest. Yeah, and I think we're kind of – we'll bounce around a little bit here, but, you know, kind of talking about the growth, and I appreciate you talking about that. Um, it's kind of you to acknowledge that. Um, but that growth really, really started Arizona Nationals with that swine show. Um, you know, we had um, – we had, um, and, I'll, and I'll back up if we, if you want to talk yeah, about yeah. Arizona Nationals yeah, a little bit right now, yeah. but, but um, we had um, one of my best friends and a guy that I admire so much, uh, Mr. Grant Boyce. Um, his family is a longtime um, pioneer ranching family in the state of Arizona, and he was the executive director of the Arizona National Livestock Show for 18 years. Um, boy, just did a phenomenal job for us. Um, but we were kind of at a point where he had decided to retire. And so we had an opportunity to, to think about what the direction of the show was, wh where we were going. Um, that was kind of an interesting time also in the livestock industry because, there's, because of, the, of the Internet and because of, um, you know, different ways of marketing livestock. You know, those open shows had pretty much died out. Yeah. Um, they're, not, they're not, you know, it used to be, again, that was the way that you marketed cattle. You know, as you you know, which was a roll of victory Angus bull, you know, for the Western region or whatever, yeah. and people would come and see and check out the cattle and, um, you know, now, you know, you can get on your little phone there and and um, you know look and up any Angus bull that you want to. You look up his EPDs that are going to be automatically updated on the latest genomics, um, and find a picture of them and and you know trace his cow family or his sire's family and you can do all that stuff now right in the palm of your hand with that you know with your phone um and so that's changed you know a lot of the participation in open stuff and so we also had started to see a little bit of erosion in our junior stuff um and so we had some pretty hard decisions to make and so we hired a man by the name of mike bradley from california and um his passion was was hog barn and um and so he kind of turned a couple of people loose of that hog barn and and um and um we made some changes in leadership there and kind of get that thing rolling and boy that exploded and so i'll give i'll for sure give credit to um you know jeff and shannon and and um shannon schultz and kevin rogers and chris ham and vicky um um all of those did such a nice job in there getting some excitement built up and making that just they include they started that guilt sale they started just doing some really really cool stuff that really forced the rest of the barns to kind of look and say hey what are we doing we need to keep up and um anyway so mike had an opportunity mike bradley had an opportunity to go back to california and, and um you know which certainly can't blame him he had a pretty nice deal over there and and so 
our next um, hire was Tyler Grandel, and Tyler's currently our executive director, and he's kind of tried to keep that trajectory going up in, in all the barns and all the contests. And, you know, we've for sure had some growing pains. Um, oh, yeah. You know, we have a strong, strong relationship with the state fairgrounds there. State fairgrounds has been wonderful to work with, but you also got to realize that that thing was built, hundred, uh, you know, a long time ago, yeah. and I don't know exactly when. But it was built for a lot smaller show than what we have, and so we've got some stuff to figure out as far as you know facilities and logistics and making sure that that um, we continue doing a good job there. Um, you know, people come to Arizona Nationals for a couple things. You mentioned earlier, you know, out there judging in the sun. Um, it's the it's usually show. it's a it, they call it the vacation show because of a couple things. Number one, um, you know, the weather's usually pretty good. Um, you know, we've had some rain, we've had some cold ones, but you know, for most part, the weather is usually pretty good and it's usually better than wherever you're coming from, unless you come from San Diego or Hawaii or something. But, um, (laughs) but, um, you know, usually the weather's pretty good. Another thing is, is that we've tried to foster kind of a laid back atmosphere there where, um, you know, it's not a high stakes, high pressure deal. I mean, it's going to take a pretty good one to win, you know, and people are, you know, for sure, you know, gunning for that. But but we don't we we try to keep it kind of a relaxed atmosphere, you know, kind of make it the vacation show, oh, yeah. and so so people are, have continued to respond to that, and that's why a lot of the a lot of people like to come out there. But it sure takes a good one to win that deal anymore. It's a it's a I it's a elite show to win. Yeah, and uh, I mean it was an elite show before. Obviously, I mean any national show is going to be elite, but. Uh, you're right. When when NSR and NJSA came in and 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 just got the promotion that they can promote. I mean, when NJSA teams up with a show, it's it's going to blow up. And and you were right. The other barns had to look at themselves and be like, okay, what are we doing? Uh, but they've kept up. And I think your social media team, Arizona Nationals social media team. If if you guys don't know about Arizona Nationals, I'm sure you've seen them on any type of social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. They are all over. They have an incredible social media team. And uh, do you want to promote their interns? I think there's a intern spot coming up, right? Yeah, I've been the, seeing that. Yeah, no, the I, look at the the Twitter snap or the FC chat or <laughs> Bookface, whatever it is on there. But they but there's a links to to apply for the media internship, and I think there's also some show interns that they're looking at doing some some more in depth kind of show management stuff. But what an incredible opportunity to work with some of the leading people in the business. Um, you know that that we hire and that we contract with to to develop the social media um, stuff and like I said I'm not going <laughs> to pretend that I'm adept at any of that yeah. um, but but um, man I tell you that that the experience that you'll have there is really really cool you know and um, you know I encourage you to apply so yeah look at all those different <laughs> forums yeah check out uh check out arizona nationals on facebook twitter instagram i think they just put out a big media blast um talking about those internships and i highly recommend it i've known a couple of people that have gone through that internship uh and they absolutely love it and just like you said it's a vacation show so uh and that's how that's kind of how they play it but let's get back to you so we kind of talked about your childhood a little bit uh showing and judging and stuff like that let's talk about you kind of getting into college i want to hear uh if you always knew you were kind of going to go to U of A or if you uh, had your eyes set on anything. But you went to Pima first, didn't you? Right. Yeah, I, t- I tried to <laughs> – I, I think I said this last time, and um, 
some of your listeners will have to listen to this twice. To, yeah. <laughs> some of it's not funny the first time, but <laughs> no, but, but you know, like my collegiate career, I tried to squeeze six years of education in about seven. Yeah. And uh, so, um, but kind of backing up a little bit, um, you know, I told you that I, that I like cows. I mean, I really, really like cows. I've always loved cows. Um, since I was a little kid, I, there's nothing I crave more than wanting to be a cowboy. I mean, I wanted to be, you know, horseback, working cows, doing anything I could with cows on a horse. Um, and I knew that from a very, very young age. I was very, very fortunate. Um, I, I think I mentioned this in our first interview that um, I was adopted. And um, you, you talk about the divine intervention that had to happen um, for a, a kid that was cold at birth to be put into a family that was you know, had ranching in their, you know, in the, in, in their background. Did you just say that you're cold? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if you didn't hear that terminology there, <laughs> Dr. Dean Fish just said that he was cold at birth. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to stop you because that was hilarious. Well, and, and the incredible thing, Cannon, is, is that, um, after my parents adopted me, they did it twice more. I promise you, if I'd have had me first, I'd have been the last one. I'd been go, I'd go get some dogs or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, just but but thinking about you know my background growing up with my parents on ranches in southern Arizona um, instilled that love of cows and horses and um, being a good cattleman and being a good stockman and love of the natural resources and range management and wildlife and the outdoors and and all of that stuff kind of i mean that's all really really formative in in my background and so so to kind of understand you know where i'm at now and how i got there you kind of have to know that as a base um and i i like I said we had one channel of tv that sometimes would come in um and so you're pretty rural I mean, we're, we're yeah, relatively rural. I mean, there was a, Nogales is about fifteen thousand people, which is about four four miles away from where we were. But but it just as well have been four hundred. I mean, we you know we just went there for groceries. But um, um, anyway, so my entertainment growing up were, were books, and so I read every single book about cowboys, about horses, about all that stuff. And so anyway, so that didn't help the <laughs> fever any, you know, that, that, that really yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, you know, and so, you know, reading Will Rogers and, you know, Will James and, you know, all, I mean, you know, the whole black, um, beauty series by Walter Farr. I mean, all, I read everything I could about that stuff and, and just like I said, craved, craved that lifestyle and, and so forth. And so anyway, um, growing up in, in the 4-H program and, and, that program through high school, we had a lot of different opportunities to make connections with professors at the University of Arizona. The University of Arizona is, for your listeners, the land-grant college in Arizona. A lot of them are the state, you know, like New Mexico State or, or whatever. But in Arizona, the University of Arizona is land-grant college. And so they're responsible for the 4-H programs and the ag um, extension and, and those kind of things. And so as 4-H members, we'd come to state 4-H Roundup or we'd come to the state livestock field days and stuff like that on the U of A campus. And so through those opportunities, I made connections with some of the professors here at the um, University of Arizona. Um, anyway, when I graduated, um, or like in my senior year, I graduated from Patagonia High School. Um, and my senior year, my counselor informed me that I'd really, really better brush up on my roping skills or learn how to fence and not like jousting fencing, but <laughs> like building like fence, build fence yeah. because I did not have the intellectual ability to succeed in college. Um, 
and and I'd I'd like to hope that she was just trying to um, motivate, you. motivate me. I don't think she was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but if you knew me my senior year in high school, you might have agreed with that her. <laughs> that was my counselor. Yeah, she oh she was gosh. she's she's very direct. Um, anyway, so and like I said, like I said, I hope that that she meant that in a way that was to motivate. But and it certainly did because um, I knew that I did not. Um, want to build fence for the rest of my life not that there's anything wrong with that because i've built a lot since then but um anyway because of my connection with 4-h um i was able to get a few scholarships um a couple of the ones that were really really important for me were the arizona national livestock show the arizona cattle industry research and education foundation um and cowbells um and so my parents couldn't afford to help me with school and so between those scholarships and working, I was able to go to community college. And so I went to Pima Community College for a couple of years to get all those basics out of the way. Um, and then because of those connections that I had with those professors at the U of A, um, in particular the ones in animal science, and Dr. Selke, Marvin Selke, is probably the one that, that um, I probably had the strongest connection with. Um, he um, helped me find some more scholarships and so forth, and, and so I enrolled in U of A in the animal science department and, and – um, began down that that road there i was in at that point what they call a production track and so that's where um you're going to do a four-year degree and then you're going to go out and work in a you know manage a feedlot or go work in pharmaceutical sales or or do something like that and um during this time um i also got married my senior year of college and um had my daughter um in that order and (laughs) (laughs) and so um and so I was also, at that point, my wife and I had decided that um, she was going to be the, you know, main caregiver for my daughter um, because we wanted to raise her, not, you know, have a baby. Not, like I said, not that there's anything wrong with that. That was a decision we made. So what that meant was is that I had to work two or three jobs plus go to school in order to support that, and which I was glad to do. Um, one of those jobs was I worked at the meat lab. I worked at the meat lab for Dr. John Marcello for about a year and a half. Um, you know, while, you know, also working a full-time job and another part-time job and going to school. Um, so kind of a busy time. Um, but, um, my senior year, um, Ty or IBP, Iowa beef, um, processors or producers, anyway, big meat company was hiring. Or the, and so they were interviewing on campus. Um, back in those days, we didn't have the internet, so they'd actually come to you, and you didn't do anything. All I mean, anyway, so <laughs> I'm, I'm messing with you, Kevin. Yeah, but but yeah. uh, oh, dumb millennials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about millennials. I'm excited about your generation. It. It's good. But anyway, so anyway, IBP. I interviewed. I thought, okay, so I'm brown. <laughs> um, I speak Spanish. I've got a year and a half of meat experience. Um, I'm a hard worker. There's no way these guys aren't going to hire me. Anyway, they, there was a petition somewhere within that company not to hire not Dean to hire Fish. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, so I did not get an offer. And so my, my, um, one of my professors said, why don't you take the GRE? I think you'd do good in grad school. And I said, yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, so I took the, I took the GRE. And, um, again, no pressure. I really wasn't thinking about grad school. I didn't be honest with you and this sounds pretty cocky but i didn't study for it because i really didn't have wouldn't put much hope in it i mean you had a kid i had a kid right i mean anyway so i took the gre um no pressure um 
and for some reason, um, because I'm a good guesser yeah. <laughs> as well, um, I scored like off the charts. I was in like the 97th percentile in like two of the three main categories. And so they offered me a little assistantship to do a master's at the U of A. And so I did that under Mark Wise. And so I studied follicular development in, in cattle. Um, and um, so upon completion of my master's degree, then I applied for and um, Again, just this is sheer fortune, Canon. I'm telling you, uh, right place, right time. But no one good applied, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I I got the job as a county extension agent in my home county, and um, so I was a county extension director, the county agent, um, and um, and so I and so through that period of time when I was a county agent, um, someone I think told me that I couldn't do a PhD, um, but someone also inform me and I think they probably are still regretting that they informed me of this but they said that I could use all of my classes from my master's within a certain period of time toward my PhD so what that meant was I didn't have to take too many classes on campus I'd have to do some research and you know and take some classes but um, um, so anyway so during my first few years as a as a county extension agent I completed a PhD and um, did basically I did it and getting cows knocked up I, I notice a trend that you just keep you keep saying yeah I wasn't smart enough but I yeah I got in the 97th percentile or oh just it was lucky that I got this job I think you're disqualified and smart you're just making excuses yeah no that's very kind of you kind <laughs> but you're but you're wrong I mean I I know I I was there you weren't uh, no I no I I I certainly had some skills I'm not you know I'm certainly not denying that and um and I think probably the biggest thing, and, and again, trying not to be immodest here, but, 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 and I and I really truly wasn't the smartest guy, um, but I guarantee you, no one was going to outwork me or out hustle me. And um, if I didn't understand something, I'd sit there and I'd read that biochem book until I understood it. And um, a lot of it's just stubbornness. Um, certainly not, really isn't smart. <laughs> Mostly <laughs> stubbornness and persistence. But but again, that but that's a good testament to some of your listeners out there that maybe are struggling in a advanced calculus class or whatever. I mean, man, you can do it. You just got to hustle, um, and it and it's going to take a little effort on your part. Um, but but you can get it done. I think that uh, not only school, because I think not only other people, but I need to hear that at some points that I'm just like. Sometimes I, I don't want to do it, and sometimes I'm just like, you know what, this is a little difficult, but you just need to bear down and do it. And I don't mean to use bear down as U of A, but sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta stick your head in the book and try to learn the concept, which is a good mindset to have. Yeah, it's it's tough. I promise you, because I did not have the natural ability, the natural just pick stuff up, and you know, I, I got a little bit of that in certain subjects, but not not really. I mean, it's just that, that man, you just got to get after it and get through it. You know. Um, and 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 you can do it if you want to, you know. I sound like <laughs> Blades of Glory. Yeah. You can do it. But but it's but it but it but it is true. And and I guarantee you that, um, you know, if you are persistent, and you really want something, and you want to make something happen. You can you, uh, dream it, and you can do it. Yeah. I mean, but just make sure your dream's big enough. Everything. Yeah, but just make sure you dream big enough. I mean, you know, a lot of times I think we set our goals too low. Um, and set our expectations for ourselves too low. Um, until you're actually in that situation, you can achieve a whole lot more than what you, what, what you first believed. I'll give you an example of that, Canon. Um, so I've been messing around auctioneering for probably 15 years. Let's hear a little 
Yeah. Oh, 25 now, 30 would have been 30, 30 now, 35 would have been 35 now, 40 now, 45 would have been 45. Anyway. Um, <laughs> um, so I've been messing around kind of, I started out just because um, I had a little bit of a sense of humor and, and, um, and there was a group of ladies in Nogales, the Nogales um, Zonta Women's Club, and so they were selling these baked goods, and they said, hey, come down here and sell these for us. And so anyway, I got them all worked up and, <laughs> and made a lot of money, and so it was kind of fun. And so I started kind of doing those things a little bit. Um, and then one of um, probably my biggest influences in my life is Paul Ramirez. Um, Paul Ramirez, Colonel Paul Ramirez, is a world champion livestock auctioneer from right here in Tucson. Um, he has You Can Bid auctions, and he also has a really, really cool magazine called Western Ag Life, um, which you can check out on the Twitter Snap or yeah, in, yeah. Insta Web. Or, yeah, internet, <laughs> yeah, internet, uh, yeah, the interwebs. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, Western Ag Life and You Can Bid auctions. And anyway, so Paul, um, I was helping him kind of ring some sales and, and doing a little bit here and there. And he sent me to an advanced auctioneer academy. Um, which I'd never even been to basic yeah, auctioneer yeah. school. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't so know. Yeah. Advance. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you've seen that little John Wayne clip where he, that kid can't swim and he just throws oh, him in yeah. there. <laughs> that, that's exactly that's what happened awesome. to me. I mean, it was like drinking from a fire hose and, yeah. and, and, um, anyway, that first day was tough. I mean, because I was way out horse. All these guys were kind of world champion level trying to get better at what yeah. they were doing and um and i struggled um but i worked at it and like i said i'm i'm still not you know at that proficiency level that i want to be because i don't practice enough but but um um i was able to just be by work ethic and determination get to be where i'm an adequate auctioneer a, a, you know a, a decent auctioneer and so again that's just an example of you know kind of you know I would never have put myself in that situation. I would have never dreamed big enough that I could attend that particular academy. But having someone kind of push you into it, and um, you know, you you'll rise to the level yeah. if you if you have to. Yeah. And I think it's almost better to be thrown in a higher level sometimes, or or um, just be thrown into some people that are better than you, because that's the only way you're going to get better is if you get beat. If if you know that there's people above you that you can reach that level. Oh, they're up there. I'm gonna be up there, and then I can look down at these guys that are gonna be a, that were at my level. I mean, it's a great motivational tool to use. Yeah, absolutely. And you said something that's really, really key, and that's a really wise insight that you had there. Was about hanging out with people better than you. And so, I promise you, I made a career out of out of being the dumbest person in a room. And and I'm not saying that in a in a, in a humbling way. I'm saying that because if I'm the smartest guy in a room, I'm in the wrong place. I want to hang out with people that are more successful, that are smarter, that are better than me, so that I can see how they get there and figure out how how I can improve my skills to get maybe not to that level, but at least get part of that level. And so um, that's so key, you know. I and you can talk to my son Garrett and and. Um, and Laurel, I mean, I've kind of, I've drilled that into their heads when they're little. You are who you hang out with. You know, if you hang out with people that are successful, that are uplifting, that are positive, you can't help but be, you know, uplifting and positive. Um, if you hang out with people that are always negative and people that are, you know, maybe not doing things that they should be doing, that's the way you're going to drift. So, you know, choose choose your company carefully um, because it really, really is going to reflect on, on you and it's going to reflect on, on your own attitude and, and your, and your ability to advance yourself. Yeah.
your your uh, dad's side just came out right there. Just hang out with good people. Yeah, just don't get a, don't get in with the wrong crowd now. That's basically. I mean, but it's a, I, it. You're right. I mean, we've we've all heard it. Like, if you if you surround yourselves with good people, you're probably going to be a good person as well, which is a good way to live. Um, let's talk about extension. So, uh, you kind of graduate uh, from U of A with your masters, get a job in extension, and while you're in extension, you're also getting your doctorate, or that's down the road a little ways. Yeah, it's during the same time again because I was really really fortunate that my extension office was about an hour away from the main campus. So I could take evening classes and, and um, engage with, with campus. Um, and then my research project were, again, like I said, in getting cows knocked up. And so I was able to combine that as, as, as extension outreach along with my research project. And, and so I did a lot of that work at the same time. Um, extension was really, really cool because, again, for your listeners that, that maybe don't understand the land-grant university, when I say land-grant university, uh, land-grant university has a three-pronged or, th- or three missions. You know, number one is teaching, which, which we traditionally think of as, you know, what you're doing when you go to, you know, your ag econ class, your, you know, whatever classes. Um, the research component um, which is really, really important, and so, and then extension. And so what extension does is, and at least in my interpretation of extension was, was to take that research that's being generated on campus um, and make it useful to people. You know, and I call that translational research. And so um, translating that research into something that's of an actual impact to either a livestock producer or a natural resource manager or to a young person in the 4-H youth development program, whatever it is, um, but making it applicable. And so that's what was a cool part about Extension was it's not laboratory benchtop science. I'm not trying to figure out which, you know, which uh, gene marker turns on or off marbling and you know, in hogs. I'm trying to figure out, okay, we know the gene markers that turn on marbling in hogs. Now, how do we incorporate that into hog production? You know, which is, to me, it was, you know, I was asked a question, you know, someone told me about something really cool that they discovered or whatever. I'm like, okay, so what? Okay, so what impact is that going to have? You know, cool to know, but okay, so how do we make that applicable? And so that's what Extension was. And so a main part of my career with Extension was I was a livestock specialist, and so I was able to do research and applied programs with um, livestock producers in, in all of southern, well, most of Arizona, and some regional stuff. And you got to kind of uh, get involved with 4-H and, and all those kids, and, and did you kind of, is that where you wanted to be a 4-H leader? Did you kind of start shortly after that? Yeah, so I like I said, I told you when when I first um, came on extension, one of the first things I did was I started coaching a livestock judging team, and so I was the ag natural resources and 4-H agent and county director in Santa Cruz County, in my home county. So I had responsibility for all of those programs, and so I got to do a lot of really really neat stuff, um, and I knew that that was a place that I wanted to give back hopefully a little bit of service to was a 4-H program because, you know, as I'd mentioned, it was so formative. And so um, it provided every opportunity that I ever had in my life for to achieve higher education or whatever was being part of those programs. And so, so to be able to give back and hopefully facilitate that for some other kids as they're coming up was really, really important to me. And so I continue, I have, um, I've been on, on, um, I've, I've not been with Extension for about seven years. Um, I've been ranching and I've been involved in beef industry and other stuff. 
um, since then. Um, um, but I've continued to be a 4-H leader. I continue to um, to um, run 4-H sales, 4-H FFA junior livestock sales, and continue to contribute back um, to these communities in that way. Yeah. And, uh, let's talk about uh, kind of what you do now because I think it's very interesting. I want you to go into basically all of it, the range management part uh, of your job, and kind of explain what you do on on an everyday basis. Yeah, that's a tough one because <laughs> there's <laughs> yeah, the, there's there's I, I do a lot of stuff. Um, and you know, and and you had a really really good podcast with Dr. Brett Kaysen, and yeah. Brett Brett's one of my good good friends. Um, and you know, I've known him in several of his different roles, and um, um, he is so focused and so determined, and he's got that work ethic and 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 the smarts and stuff, and he's did such a good job as a judging coach and as a 4-H specialist, and um, you know, and he was with Zoetis and then and then National Pork Board, and 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 he's had just a laser-like focus that is so admirable. So unfortunately, I'm completely opposite. <laughs> I'm interested in a lot of stuff, and so I, I ended up not doing a lot of stuff real well, but I, but, but I kind of do a lot of different stuff. So you asked me about my job. So, um, so my main gig is I'm the ranch manager for the Santa Fe Ranch um, Foundation. And so that ranch is a ranch that I grew up on. My dad was the manager there for 35 years, and so... We run um, programs for disabled people. We run animal therapy and art programs and try to get um, um, people out in nature. Um, and we run a real robust program. We have um, people come out three times a week, and we do animal therapy with them and, and, um, and some really, really cool stuff, life-changing stuff, yeah. really, really cool. Um, what, what are those experiences like for, for those people that don't, don't know? I mean... Uh, what kind of what kind of people are coming out there, and what's happening? So, so in 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 Santa Cruz County, um, we have the Santa Cruz Training Program, which is an agency responsible um, for providing opportunities for people with developmental disabilities. And so, um, when they come out to the ranch, number one, they get to be out in fresh air, and they get to be outdoors. Um, one of the things that we don't think about with that particular population that I didn't think about, um, and and most of this is coming about because we hired a pretty pretty talented special ed teacher that's helped us the last few years there but um at least a lot of this recognition um but one of the things that population we don't think about is their ability to choose and what i mean by that is most of the time their day is pretty regimented you're going to go to the doctor at one you're going to have lunch at 12 you're going to go to you know this therapy at 10 um most of their life is pretty regimented when they come out to the ranch um, it's really cool because they now are empowered to choose. I'm going to go and see the rooster, go hang out with the chickens, or I'm going to go and I want to brush the goat, or I want to go walk in the nature trail, or I want to go, you know, check out the hummingbird garden. And so it allows them that power to choose a little bit of what they like. And, um, and we also know that that human animal bond is very, very important. You know, I think probably if you took a poll of your listeners, um, you know, do you still call them listeners? Yeah, podcast. Yeah, podcasties. I, yeah. so, right? Podcasties, I don't, I don't know. Right. Well, I've got a face for podcasting. <laughs> I've been told. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, but um, you know, it's it's really really a powerful thing for yeah. them to to um, to have that choice and to and to to be able to do that. Um, I forgot where I was going with that, but anyway, pretty pretty powerful no, stuff. You an- yeah, you answered. Yeah. Uh, 
that. My question about kind of that experience. But right. Yeah, you were just going. Right. And so then we also, I also, I also between that property and we have a wetland property in, in the city of Nogales, I also get um, probably about 1,200 students out there a year. Um, and we do ag literacy and um, all types. They get ag literacy whether they want to or not just because of my bias um, because they need to know where food comes from and, and so forth. And so they get that. Um, but we do all types of nature type programs. But basically try to get young people out of doors. We also do um, different programs with, you know, like, for example, the beef production class comes out there and we do a little processing. Um, in addition to that, we are also – one of four examples of sustainability that National Cattlemen's Beef Association has selected from around the country to talk about sustainability. And so we, we promote a lot of the sustainable practices, I think, that are very, very important um, for ag producers. And, um, you know, f- any, everything from water conservation to wildlife management to, um, you know, looking at our forages and so forth. Um, and then using livestock as a tool to manage those resources. Anyway, we, we try to provide a good example to our neighbors, and, and now nationally, you know, um, people can kind of see what we're doing and, and some of those different practices that, that we employ there to make sure that, that that land is going to be as good or better, yeah. you know, for the next generation. So I think one of the things that, that um, you and I have talked about is range management. Yeah. Um, and if there's any people that are range management majors listening or, or maybe are a range manager, I apologize in advance, but <laughs> that's the dumbest thing that I've ever done. I mean, going out and counting grass. Yeah. And so, like, on my main ranch, we have seven big pastures or seven main pastures that we have a monitoring transect in. And so we determine a key area, and that key area has to represent kind of average grazing within that pasture. So not too close to water where they're going to eat it all down, but not in a corner where nothing gets to. And so... We'll go out and we'll collect 200 data points um, um, of this transect, and we'll count the grass that's in there. We'll count the varieties. We'll look at um, erosion potential, where a raindrop would fall. And so we'll take those 200 samples, um, tally them up, um, and which is really cool because then we say, okay, we have 45% blue grandma, 12%, you know, um, layman love grass, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, but whatever those grasses yeah. are. Um, which is cool because you get a snapshot of that time, right? Yeah. Um, the cool thing, though, about the Santa Fe Ranch is, is that my dad started that program in 1980. So now, this year, we're going to have 39 years of data that we can go back and look at, and now we can see trends. And so now, okay, we're at 45% blue grandma grass, say, this year, and I'm just making that up, but... Um, we can see, okay, through the you know through the early 2000s, we were down to like 12%, and then in the late 90s, um, we had a drought, and we were down to 4%, you know, but then the early 90s, we were at 67% or whatever that is. I'm just making all that up. Yeah. But, but you can start now seeing trends, and whether that's related to precipitation, whether that's related to management, whether that's related to wildlife or bivery, whatever it is, we can start making some management decisions in response to those things. And so that's one of the, I think, powerful ways that we are an example to our neighbors is, is to try to figure out what works and what doesn't work in an arid grassland environment. Yeah. And I mean, you have 39 years of, of data points to look back on. I think that uh, any operation would be very lucky to have uh, that much information to look back on. And I don't think that, um, I don't know, I'm, I might be wrong from an outside uh, looking in, but I don't, I don't think that people understand the importance of range management, especially down here. 
like uh, keeping your land, uh, kind of mo- monitoring it, making sure it's doing what it's doing right, especially if you have livestock on it, making sure that that's important. I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on the importance of range management uh, and kind of what you guys do uh, to further on your point. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's really, really dumb, but really, really important. <laughs> and I'm not, by dumb, I mean it's really boring. It's <laughs> just counting grass. But um, but probably the most important thing that I do on there is to, is to be able to justify what I'm doing. Um, and, again, you think about long-term sustainability of that natural resource base. Um, you know, every rancher's goal um, should be to leave that place in as good or better shape as, as when they found it. Um, and so that's part of it is that range management component. And I wanted to, you, on our interview the other day, you told me a very important difference that I wanted you to kind of tell again. It was the difference for, between a cowboy and a cattleman. And uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, you wanted to be a cowboy when you were younger, and you kind of did, and you became kind of a, a legacy cowboy. I mean, your your dad ran the ranch that you run now, um, but kind of walk me through that difference. I know a lot of people listening probably know, but, uh, walk me through the difference for people that don't. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, and I'm probably going to offend somebody here, I'm sure. But, um, you know, when you think of a cowboy and you think of, um, of, of that particular skill set, that particular skill set is, um, usually associated with a horse, usually associated with a rope, um, and doing, you know, cowboy stuff. Um, you know, um, you know, managing and working with cattle in, in a certain way. Um, and a lot of it is a lot of fun, you know, it's fast, it's wild, it's dangerous. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, you, you, you see, you know, the whole Dale Brisby thing that's, yeah. that, I mean, that's kind of, yeah, 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 letter buck, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on to the next one, old son, you know, kind of, I mean, all that stuff is kind of, you know, what the stereotypical cowboy thing. And I, and I think that cowboy, um, there's so many important skills there that, that are the, that are base fundamental, but, but I'll almost, and, and, and I'm certainly not meaning this in any way to denigrate any level, but I almost consider to me and my aspirations, my personal aspiration, um, the cattleman is more of a person that's more of a steward of, you know, not only his cattle and his horses and his horsemanship or her horsemanship or whatever, um, but is also looking at it from a little more of a holistic standpoint, looking at um, stuff like the genetics, stuff like the range management, stuff about how all of these things are interrelated and what are the consequences of, of different um, actions. So um, paying more attention like breeding decisions. So which bulls are you selecting to put with which cows and which replacement heifers are you standing or you retaining in your herd to replace those or where are you getting your new genetics or what particular protein or mineral supplement you need. And so, so I, I kind of think of, um, of uh, cattlemen more of that kind of overall management level. Um, different type of skill set, neither good nor bad, better or worse or whatever. Um, um, but but has to have that type of skill set. And then I think the one that I'm really, really aspiring to be, and I'm pretty fortunate I get to be part of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Stockmanship and Stewardship Team. And as part of that team, we go around the country and we um, provide learning opportunities about low-stress cattle handling and stockmanship and and working with cattle in a little different way than than what is maybe traditional. And, um, man, that's so fun. I've learned so much. Um, you know, in the last five years, I've, five, six, seven years that I've been involved with, with those folks, um, I'm, I'm embarrassed about some of the things that I did in the past, you know, in the way that I handle cattle. Um, and, and, 
um, you know, I kind of see it as my mission as part of that team to kind of help and promote the lower stress and, and different um, ways to handle cattle. Now, there's going to be some times when um, you really kind of just need to be a cowboy yeah. and get stuff done. Um, but there's a lot of times when you can um, kind of think bigger picture and, and do it in a different way. So low stress doesn't always mean low pressure. And that's kind of one of the misconceptions that, you know, we're out there hugging our cows and, you know, gi- you know, giving them names and, you know, kind of, you know, living in harmony. <laughs> you know, low stress doesn't necessarily mean low pressure because there's going to be times when we have to put a significant amount of pressure to get them to go through a gate or to teach them what we want them to do. Um, but once we figure out, you know, how to apply that pressure, also importantly is how do we remove that pressure so that that cow knows, okay, I did what he wanted me to do or she wanted me to do, and so now this is my reward. Yeah. I get relief from that pressure. And so that's how we train cows and do that. So so, so thinking about it at different levels. So really long-winded answer um, to, that, to that question, but I think cowboy has a certain skill set, which I think are very, very important, very, very much in demand. Um, and, and very, very key for livestock production. I think cattlemen is a different um, type of skill set, but, um, but I think the stockman combines both. Um, you know, and I've been real, real fortunate. You know, my ranch that, that um, I manage and my own cattle company deal, um, you know, we do 90% of everything on horseback. You know, so I still get to, you know, go out there and, and uh, you know, I'm handling cattle and using tact that, they, that you would have seen 100 years ago there. And using those same types of practices um, but I'm also while I'm out there I can look on my phone yeah. and I can look on my database um, I've got a cloud-based database and I can look up cow number 805 that okay so she's had seven seven calves um, these are the calves that she's had um, I can see you know her whole health history you know and, and all that stuff so it's kind of cool that you blend the traditional cultural stuff along with the technology yeah yeah, and that's that's. I think that's awesome that you just said that. I mean, the part where, I mean, you're using tech that's 100 years old, but you can also pull up your phone and and you have this database that you can you can look down on. I think uh, if that doesn't get you excited, I mean, th- just the two worlds merging together is awesome. It's it's just an incredible experience, and I think uh, if you could get a photographer out there or something like that, I think it'd be a pretty cool picture of just uh, kind of technology coming into. Uh, the old school round, but what? Uh, how many head of uh, cattle do you guys run on that operation? Yeah, probably probably uh, more than some, not as many as others. It's kind of about 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 the number we run. Um, you know, talking about being excited though, and and we mentioned this earlier. I wanted to just just take a quick minute and just talk about how excited I am about your generation that's coming yeah, up. Um, I mean, I think I think you get sold. You know, the millennial generation gets sold short. You know, a lot of cases, you know, but the, the stereotypes that, that are put out there. And there, there's some of that stuff that, that probably is, in some cases, true. Um, but, I, but I tell you, I'm so excited. I see, like, some of your brothers in the house there that, um, you know, not only are real, real handy cowboys, but also are getting a degree in ag technology management or whatever. And so they're understanding how to blend that technology with the traditional skills. Um, you think about... Um, you know, and I know this is kind of, you know, my conservative friends will probably disown me if, they listen, <laughs> if they've listened this far. But, but, you know, I think some of the social justice stuff that, that, that the millennial generation is working on is really, really important, really, really key um, so that we have opportunities for everyone out there, um, you know, to, to be involved in, in whatever aspect of, of agriculture that they want to be. I think we kind of um, 
in agriculture, I think my generation and the ones, you know, before me, a lot of times we weren't probably as open as we should be in being inclusive of people that were different than us. Um, and I'm obviously different, um, you know, for, again, (laughs) you can't see me, but, 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 but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm, um, Hispanic and, um, you know, or Mexican. And so I'm not typically the person that you would think of as the PhD reproductive physiologist, you know, or the club calf breeder or, or whatever. It's, it's not, I'm, I'm, I look different and that's not bad. Um, but, but I, but I think as, as we continue to evolve in agriculture, we're going to see a lot more of that. I think you probably see in your classes here, and I think it's a nationwide trend. There are a lot more females involved in production agriculture, um, and, and are, are welcome in our good hands and they're, kicking and they're kicking butt. I mean, because that's, that's who we need to have. We need to have the best, um, cause if we're going to continue to feed the world. And so I think that millennial generation is really ushering in a lot of those positive changes for our industry, yeah. um, a lot of really cool things. I worry about some of the skills we may be missing, though, too. I mean, you know, because I think sometimes, and I find myself guilty of this, too, um, you know, I'm too attached to that phone, yeah. you know, especially when I'm out and supposed to be paying attention to cows. Um, you know, sometimes maybe I'm checking what the markets are doing or, yeah. or something else, and so I need to kind of lose some of those distractions because there's stuff coming at us, you know, just fast paced. But, but, but I'm excited to see what your generation does. I think it's really, really an exciting time to be involved in agriculture, exciting time to be involved in the world. But, but I think in particular for agriculture, the stuff that, that your generation brings to, to us is so, so cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm a firm believer that the best is yet to come. I mean, uh, we, we in agriculture have been beaten down the the throat with uh feed the nine uh by 2050 and the future is great i'm i'm so excited for for everyone to kind of put their minds together when the time comes and just to figure all this stuff out and it's not going to happen overnight but it's just it's going to happen slowly and surely over time but um i agree with you i'm really excited but that's that's kind of all the questioning i had for you i know uh um I kind of leave this part open for anything that you want to plug or anything that you want to say, anything that uh, you have uh, to ins- inspire the, the listeners. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I wish I could be inspirational. Um, anyway, no, it, I, I appreciate, uh, again, the opportunity to be here, Cannon. Um, and like I told you before, uh, I'm stinking proud of what you're doing here. I think this podcast thing is, is really a good, good way to communicate. Um, you look at people that are successful – um, whatever career they're into, um, one of the one of the key things that is common with all of them is that they are good communicators. This is just another way that you're demonstrating that you're a good communicator. And so, um, I I think listening from your first podcast to now, um, your interviewing skills have improved, and you're you're doing such a good job. And and so I I I urge those those young people that are listening work on those communication skills put yourself in those opportunities to either give reasons or or whatever it is but get that practice um you know and so being a good communicator i think being a being a hard worker um is also you know kind of having that drive and you know i you don't want to get up and go to class or whatever it is man you just got to get it done you know and so being being a hard worker there um and then i think the third thing and i think one of the things that we in agriculture inherently have a little bit of an advantage of people that are successful are problem solvers you know and i think that you know you think about some of the pigs that you raised and there were some problems or issues that maybe come up with a pen or with a water or 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 a back leg (laughs) yeah you know or whatever it is but 
you figure out how to solve that problem. And I think because we're in agriculture faced with those probably at a more, um, a higher rate than someone that's on the, you know, the, the Xbox or whatever, you know, um, I think, um, that we in agriculture are those problem solvers. We are put in those situations from a young age. And so I think that inherently makes you a better thinker, um, and also, leads to better success as you as you go 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 on in life so i think that's a perfect way to end the episode and i really appreciate you taking your time uh, out of your day i got super lucky with you uh being in tucson again uh and i uh, i mean you're you're welcome back anytime thanks again Cannon. take care <laughs> i'll talk to you later time's limited so you must listen carefully i should have been a cowboy <laughs> Should learn to rope and ride. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna stick to talking over the mic instead of singing. Uh, do you guys agree? Yeah, I'm a really bad singer. I'm so sorry, Toby Keith. You're awesome. Love you. Uh, don't think you listen, but if you do, let me have you on. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. He's uh, he was sitting right next to me and, and, and gosh, guys, he gets so passionate. I can just see the look in his eyes when he's talking about youth programs and extension work and, and Arizona nationals and, and all those judging contests that he helped, uh, put on. He is very, very genuine. And it only helps that he's my buddy's dad. I mean, it, it, it makes it so easy that, uh, my buddy Garrett fish, the president of my fraternity, this is his father. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I get to be around so many influential people in our industry. I'm just so fortunate of that. Uh, even down here in Tucson, Arizona, guys, and I know there's a lot more, a lot more names in the Midwest and stuff, but I just wanted to show you guys that there's some big names down here in Arizona, and, and they have just as much passion as anybody else in the country does, and they do it just as hard as anybody else in the country does, so... Just to show you guys a, a little aspect of uh, Arizona agriculture, I thought it'd be awesome to have uh, Dean on, and and he certainly just doesn't didn't disappoint. There was times in that interview where I was just sitting there like entranced. I mean, he's got such a calm and mellow voice. You're just like, wow, just keep talking. It doesn't even matter. So I hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, and I've got a special surprise for you. His son uh, Garrett Fish is gonna be on the deep dive, and we're gonna go deep into the deep dive. Garrett's going to give give us some insight on his father that maybe we didn't get from the interview. Uh, and we're going to kind of uh, dive deeper into uh, the kind of subjects and topics that uh, me and his father talked about on this interview. So I hope you guys are ready for that interview on Monday uh, to come out, that deep dive, the callback episode. Uh, and that'll be with Garrett Fish, uh, my buddy, the president. And uh, tune in for that. All right, like, subscribe, share. You all know that that jazz at uh, the show pod on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, love you guys. Bye.